Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you this morning. I'm super excited uh, to dive in today. If you're new this morning, my name is DJ. I'm the associate minister here at the summit. Um, and excited to continue uh, in our series today. We celebrated Groundhog's Day uh, this past week. I know, right? I get excited. Uh, we also have a holiday that we celebrate at the same time at the summit. And when Brian and I both woke up, we saw our shadow. So there's six more months of Mark that we're going to be um, going into. So, <laughs> I have been waiting all week for that moment right there. That's, that's it, guys. Let's pray. Let's get out of here. It's been a great morning with you today. No, we, uh, we're in a series in the book of Mark. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be at the end of Mark 4, beginning of Mark 5 today. And I love, um, I really do love that we've chosen to take a lot of time. Uh, we are taking a year and a half to go through this because Mark is known as the action gospel. When you compare all four gospels together, Mark has the least amount of teachings of Jesus, but it has the most of, of really what Jesus did, what he came to do, and how he really portrayed what he was teaching. And so there's a lot that we can learn, especially when we talk about becoming the gospel, uh, Mark is really a great, that's, that's what's happening, is Jesus is showing us, Mark is, is looking at the life of Jesus and is showing us how do we take these things that Jesus said and how do we put them into practice in our day-to-day -day lives. I'm really excited of where this narrative is going to take us this morning, but before we dive into that, let's pray. Awesome God, what we know not, please teach us. What we have not, please give us. What we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name, amen. I've realized uh, something about myself over the last uh, few years. I've accepted something about myself is maybe a better way to put it. I don't like to ask for help. Um, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily just talking like in big crisis moments. I'm talking about just in like the day-to-day -day things here, let me say it another way. I've become Tim the Toolman Taylor. You with me? I have developed, under no fault of my own, this overconfidence in my ability to do certain things. And what I've found, what I've realized, what I've accepted, is that that tends to get me into trouble. Right? Raise your hand if you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's okay to be honest. Yeah, it's fine. We realize that about ourselves. That's fine. About 50% of the time, if I'm working on a project at our house, about 50% of the time, I'm like, hey, this is great. I made less than five trips to Home Depot to accomplish this project, which to me is a sign of success. Right? And then 50% of the time, I'm like, Diana, this thing is not doing what it's supposed to do, and it's actually doing something that I didn't know it was possible for it to do, right? That kind of thing. Uh, but it's not just in home projects. It's in many areas of my life, and, and none is probably more significant than travel. I have come to a place where I can stand up here, and I can publicly admit to you that I'm a terrible navigator, okay? I missed, like, you know, some of you guys in here are like, oh, yeah, I can always tell you which way is north. I can't. I still have no idea, right? There's big signs that we put on the door. One says north, one says west. I use those almost every day. 
Like, okay, so if this is the west entrance, I do know that, that that's east, right? Like, I can, I can problem solve that way. But I'm a terrible navigator. I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, years ago, Diana, my wife, and I, we went to Omaha, Nebraska to see the Broadway musical Wicked. It was, it was amazing. And um, this was before the time of, like, where you could get the directions on your phone, uh, didn't have a GPS. But we did have MapQuest. You guys remember MapQuest? Right? Now, here's the game that I always played with MapQuest. You could put in your destination, right? It spits out, okay, here's your turn-by-turn directions to get you from point A to point B. But then you had to make a very important decision at the end. Did you want MapQuest to give you those directions in reverse so that you could make it from point B back to point A? Now, me and my overconfidence was like, no, I don't need that, right? I can just go from the bottom up, right? Just do everything opposite, it'll be fine. So we drive to Nebraska, Diana's, she's navigating with, with the MapQuest directions. We get there, we park the car, we go in, we see the musical, we get out, it is dumping rain. I mean pouring rain. So I tell Diana, hey, why don't you go get the car, come pick me up here. No, I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. <laughs> So we go get the car, we get in the car, and I'm like, all right, hand me the MapQuest directions. She, she hands me MapQuest directions. I'm like, all right, let's do this all in reverse. Well, this is the point where I realize, oh, all of downtown Omaha is one-way streets. And I don't know if you know this or not, that really throws off the MapQuest directions <laughs> when you try to do it in reverse. So Diana says, hey, like, do you want me to help you? No, I do not. I'm channeling like my inner maverick, Top Gun, like what will we do, we can figure this out, who cares if we break every traffic law known to man. It took me about two hours to get out of downtown <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska, which I don't know if you know this or not, isn't even that big. It was about then where I decided, you know what, maybe I'm not so great with directions. It's funny though, right, we, we think about things like that, and we think about things in our day-to-day -day life where we're like, you know, I can, I, can, I can do it. I don't need help. I don't need assistance. I can figure it out. Right? We pride ourselves as a culture, right, in the era of YouTube videos. We can figure out almost anything by ourselves, right? But what I want to look at this morning is I think there's something in that, and I'm not saying that's all bad. I think that's, that's good, right? I teach my kids on a certain level to, to problem solve. But I think there's something within that that does reveal to us something about our hearts that we need to be aware of. And I think as, as we look at our passages this morning, I think this becomes very apparent when Jesus starts talking about peace in trouble. And as we look at our text this morning, I want to ask you this question, and I, I want you to really think about it. If you were offered complete peace in chaos, would you accept it? no matter the cost. 
say that again. Don't, don't give me the, the knee-jerk reaction yet. But if you were offered complete peace in the midst of chaos, would you take it no matter the cost? And here's why I say don't answer yet, because I feel like we read this question and our initial reaction is, well, duh. Of course I would. Like, I don't, even, I don't even need to think about that. I would take that in an instant, but let me push back on you just a second, because I think what you and I tend to hear when we're asked this question is this. If you were offered just enough peace to keep the majority of the chaos at bay, then you would take it. It changes things, right? I think we've gotten into this habit. We've, we've convinced ourselves that if we have just enough peace to where we don't feel overwhelmed, that's what we want. But have you ever stopped considered, what would my life look like if I was offered complete peace and I walked towards it? It's interesting, right? We all have these moments in our lives where we do feel completely overwhelmed. We do feel like there's things going on that is way more than we can or want to handle, right? It's, it's those moments where you feel like everybody's mad at you all at the same time, right? It's those moments where you feel like you're really struggling at your job and you're struggling at home, and so there's, there's no place that's really safe or calm for you. You can handle one or the other as long as you know that you have the other one to go back to. But I think, and maybe I'm just talking to me, but I think I struggle to come to this place where I feel comfortable in the perfect peace that Jesus has offered me. I'll just give you a very practical example to think about. How many of you struggle just sitting in silence? No TV, no phone, no book that you're reading, just sitting there in complete silence. And how many of us can do that without our minds wandering into other areas? Right? Okay, well, what if, how do I problem solve this problem? What am I going to feed my family for dinner? Right? All of these things start creeping into our minds that really isn't just sitting and being at peace. Something that we struggle to do, and I would argue that for many of us even makes us uncomfortable. That we've come to this place where we want just the right amount of peace, and just the right amount of chaos, and that's where we feel the most comfortable. These passages that we're looking at at the end of Mark chapter 4, beginning of Mark chapter 5, show us that what Jesus came to offer is something radically different. And it does require something from us. So I'm going to look at three things as we go through this. And we're kind of going to look at these passages side by side this morning. And the first thing is this, the path. 
I'm going to look at what I'm, what I'm calling the path. Mark chapter 4, it ends. Jesus just finished teaching on the kingdom of God. Brian preached on that last week, and, and it was this amazing full day of Jesus just really pouring out the message of the gospel and what the kingdom of heaven is and what it's like, and Jesus is tired. But what I love is instead of going home after a very full day, after interacting with people, after being completely drained, instead of going home, what he does is something radically different. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says this, On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, Let's go across to the other side of the sea. This is extremely important, and I might geek out on you just a little bit this morning, but Jesus is currently on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. told you. It's coming. And he's in this region called Capernaum, and he says to his disciples, let's get in the boat, let's go across, right? And, and again, if my navigation skills are correct, that means we're going to go to the east side. Are you guys with me? Because this is where I tend to lose myself in this story, right? So he's on the west, he gets in, he goes to the east, and most of us would read that and we think, okay. But there's something hugely important that's happening here is because while he's on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, he's in a predominantly Jewish territory. And things are, operate a certain way on that side. People have certain ideas, certain uh, constructs in their head of who the Messiah is going to be, what he's come to do. People on the west side believe that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be this political hero, this conqueror that's going to drive out the Romans and he's going to bring Jerusalem and the people of Israel back to their rightful place. And so Jesus, while he's on that side, he has to interact a certain way. He has to teach things in a certain way. He has to tell people not to divulge certain information. He tells people multiple times, and we'll see it even next week, he tells them, hey, don't say anything yet. Because there's this whole political, religious construct that Jesus has to deal with on the west side of the sea. But then he gets into his boat and he heads to the other side. Mark chapter 5, verse 1 says this, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And again, one of those things we read through, it's easy to miss. But life is different on this side. Because this is a Gentile region. This is a region that has no construct of the Messiah. They don't have the political, religious baggage that some of the people on the other side have. Now, they have their own stuff. They have their own problems that Jesus will address, but it's way different. And so Jesus, he goes there. He ends up in this Gerasene region, this land of Gergesa. And, and Gergesa is one of those few Gentile, non-Jew occupied regions, and it's close to this place called the Decapolis. And what the Decapolis is, is it's about 10 cities that are all hugely Gentile, and it's like the central hub of the Roman culture. So everything within the Decapolis screams of Rome. Their history, their religion, their uh, entertainment, everything Roman. And as Jesus gets there, something miraculous is about to happen. So some of you are probably saying, okay, why am, why am I telling you all this? 
It's because I want you to understand something huge before we even get into these stories. Is we're not told specifically why Jesus decided on this day to get into a boat and go to the other side of the sea. And I've, I've read things of, of people saying, well, he's probably just seeking quiet or, you know, he's, he's worn out. He wants a quiet space to go and teach his disciples. And I would say I don't agree. Because I think Jesus knows exactly why he's going to the other side of the sea. Is because even in this moment, what he's doing is more than even his disciples can grasp at this time. Is he's going to the other side to show that he brings something that's so much bigger than Jerusalem. That's so much bigger than the Israelites. He's going to show that, hey, I've come to bring freedom and peace for the world. And so even though he's tired and drained, he decides, let's go to the other side. We've been talking about um, this idea over the last several weeks of resetting. And, And here's what I would argue that we see in the ministry of Jesus, is that Jesus came to reset everything, everywhere, for all time. Say that again, because I want you to hear this. Jesus came to reset everything, everywhere, for all time. I don't know what your view of all time and everything and everywhere is, But I use those words intentionally because what I want you to understand is that includes you and I here in 2023 in O'Fallon, Missouri. Jesus came to reset everything, everywhere, for all time. Jesus, in the same way that he wanted to reset the Jews on the one side, the Gentiles on the other side, he wants to reset us today. He wants to do a work in our hearts today. And then we come to this second part, though, is there's a problem. And so what's what's the problem? Well, we see kind of two similar things. Mark chapter 4, 37, 38 says this, A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern. He was asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? I I love this story. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on here because we, we did a sermon on this uh, a few months ago. You can go back and, and listen to But I do want to point just a couple of things out. My father-in-law, who's one of the greatest men that I've had the privilege of knowing in my life, is uh, an avid lake user. I don't like the lake. I don't. I don't know what's in there. I don't want to know what's in there. I don't like, I've seen way too many documentaries. The lake, in my view, never brings good things. But for my father-in-law, he loves the lake. He has a boat. Uh, he goes out, takes him out to the boat. And I'll never forget one of the first times he said, hey, uh, this was before Diane and I were even married. He says, DJ, why don't you come with us um, on the lake? <sighs> okay. All right. This is it. This is like, this is, I'm done. Right? So we get in there, I'm like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to chill on the boat. 
and I'm going to socialize, get to know. I didn't, I didn't know Diana's family super well at that point, so I was like, I'm just going to get to know them, whatever. Uh, well, they're big water skiers. They do a lot of water skiing. Stop it. So they're big water skiers, and so they're all kind of going, they're all going water skiing, and my father-in-law, he looks at me, and he says, DJ, your turn. Well, you see, I got a thing, like a back thing. I can't say that. It's my, this is not even my father-in-law yet. This is just a man that scares me to death. So I say, let's do it, Darren. Let's get those skis on. Let's go. I don't know if you've ever been water skiing. It's not a graceful thing to get started. It's not, right? But all through this thing, uh, Darren, my, my father-in-law, and Dinah's whole family was telling me, hey, this is, like, he teaches very well. He has a sign in his basement that uh, says Darren's Ski School because he's taught so many people how to water ski. And so if there was anybody that I was confident could teach me, I knew, I knew he could. So I get skis on, I go in, and I'm, I'm sitting there in the water, not enjoying any of it. <laughs> and he looks at me, and I'll never forget one of the first things that he says to me. After he goes down the list of here's all the ways you may die, let me tell you <laughs> one thing. But he looks at me and he says, hey, the best place to be for a beginner is right behind the boat. He says, until you get the feel of it, until you get started, until you know how to balance all of those things, the best place for you to be is right behind the boat. He talks about, you know, the, the waters, it's not too choppy back there, but it's also not too still, because if you don't know what you're doing and you go into those super still waters, could spell disaster. But he says, so what I need you to do is I need, I'm going to go, I need you to hang on, and you just stay behind the boat. I said, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, you didn't, you didn't see where this story was going to go, but I'm going to tell you. I got up on my first try. And that was it for me. It's like, I'm done. No more. No, but I got up. I stayed up. I don't remember. In my mind, it was like, you know, 60 minutes. In my head, it was probably like six seconds, right? But I'll never forget that. That piece of advice helped me to learn. And then that got me thinking. There came a time, I went water skiing with him, you know, with, with Dinah's family a few times after that. And I remember there was a second time where he said, hey, DJ, it's time to not stay behind the boat. I said, but Darren, I like to stay behind the boat. <laughs> he says, no, if you really, really want to have fun, like, now that you know the basics, you know how this works. If you really want to have fun, go over the wake into the, into the smooth stuff. I'm like, Darren, I don't like it over there. <laughs> but I tried it. And yes, the first couple of times, I fell. But once I was able to learn how to cross that wake and get to the side of the boat, it was a game changer. I mean, it, it, it literally, it took the experience to another level. And every time I went after that, I didn't stay behind that boat. I wanted to get out to where the smooth stuff was. 
I was, I was reading this passage, and that story just popped into my head because here you have these experienced fishermen who are freaking out because this massive storm has come upon them, and Jesus is asleep. And so they wake him up, and I, I want you to see this because this is, this is amazing to me. Verse 39, chapter 4, and Jesus woke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? There's a great storm. Disciples freak out. There's a great calm. The disciples freak out. I mean, do you see what's happening here? What are they as fishermen comfortable with? Just the right amount. Don't take me too far one side or the other. Give me just the right amount that I know what I'm doing, but I'm not overwhelmed. Jesus says, that's not why I'm here. I came to bring peace completely. Disciples get to the other side. They're in this Gentile area. Immediately, he's met with this demon-possessed man. Mark chapter 5, verse 2 says this, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with a chain. Freed often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. So again, there's this problem as soon as they reach the shore, this man comes up to them, and he's living among these tombs. He's living in these caves. And what's interesting about the, the geography of, of what's happening here is the nearest town is about a two-hour walk. So it's not just like he's living on the edge of the city. He's been cast out of the city. He's been cast away where nobody is even interacting with him. And he lives every day in isolation, in torment, in suffering. And then Jesus comes to the other side. And he has this powerful interaction, not with the man yet, but with the demons that are inside of him, who immediately recognize Jesus. And they immediately start to plead with Jesus for him not to torment them. They recognize who he is. They recognize his power and his mission. They know why he's come to the other side. But Jesus won't leave this man in his suffering. He won't leave him in his chaos, in his isolation, and in his pain. Jesus is going to bring this man complete peace. And somewhere nearby, there's a herd of pigs. About 2,000 of them, we're told. And, and demons beg Jesus, hey, let us go into the pigs. And verse 13, I, I love verse 13. It says this, so Jesus gave them permission. Let that speak to the authority, to the power, to the person of Jesus. They needed permission to do that. And Jesus gave the okay because he has the authority, not just over the winds and the waves, but also over the spiritual realm. And these unclean spirits, they leave the man, they go into the pigs. The pigs rush down the bank of the sea, they fall off, and they drown. I haven't seen that scene in The Chosen yet but I bet it's going to be pretty crazy. There's some herders that are there that are watching the pigs. That's their job. These probably aren't their pigs. They're probably hired to watch the pigs for somebody else. 
and the pigs just drowned. That's a problem. And so what do they do? They run back to the town. And they tell everyone what happened. Shortly after, the townspeople, they come and they, they see what's happened. And it says this, verse 15, they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man. Remember the one that they couldn't bind with chains? The one that was screaming all day, all night, cutting himself, causing all of this chaos? The one who had the legion sitting there and he was clothed and he was in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those that had seen it described it to them what had, what had happened to this man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Disciples, great storm, freak out. Great calm, freak out. These people, demon-possessed man, freak out. Man in his right mind, freak out. In both instances, they want to force somebody out of the city. I think as I process through this, this should lead us all to realize that there is a bigger problem than we typically think is the actual problem. And I think the problem is usually much more deeper and much more significant. And I think it's this. The problem is with holiness. I asked you at the beginning if you were offered complete peace and chaos, would you take it no matter the cost? Let me change the question just a little bit because essentially what I'm asking this morning, what I think these, these texts beg the question of, if we were allowed to stand in the presence of a holy God, would you allow him to bring peace to your unholiness? Gets a little more uncomfortable. Because what we don't like to happen is we don't like to cross the wake to get to the peace. We don't like to invite Jesus and to invite his spirit into every area of our lives. We don't like to walk alongside someone in our messiness, in our brokenness. We want just enough to stay right behind the boat. I want you to think this morning, why did Jesus come? Why did he cross the sea? Why did he calm the storm? Why did he cast out the demon? It's because Jesus' mission was to bring holiness back into creation. To bring peace back into the chaos. Not just to tone it down to a tolerable level, but to completely reset. To make it new. As we close this morning, I, I want to ask you one more question. Why are you here today? Seriously, think, think about it for just a second. What got you out of bed this morning? What allowed you to enter into maybe a, a wrestling match with your kids to get out the door? 
maybe snapping at your spouse for taking too long, or perhaps it was a completely enjoyable morning. But why are you here? Why am I here? If your answer to that question is anything other than to accept the invitation of holiness that Jesus came to bring us, so that we can stand in the presence of a holy God, then I think you need to ask yourself, do you really want what Jesus offers? Jesus gets back into the boat, the healed man, he goes up to him and he begs Jesus to let him go with him. But here's what Jesus says, verse 19, go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. I'm convinced that the reason that we gather and we look at the stories of Scripture is, is nothing other than to see what the Lord has done, to see how he has had mercy on us, to understand more and more that the holy God has made a path for unholy people to return into his presence. But sometimes that means... We have to cross that wake. We have to allow ourselves to be open, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak into the dark areas of our lives, to change us, to reset us. And so maybe the, the application for you today is simply that, to answer that question, why are you here? Or perhaps it's to realize that you are uncomfortable allowing the Holy Spirit to work in every area of your life. And so you're always going to remain comfortable with a little peace and a little chaos. But where I hope all of us end up is a longing to experience that which Jesus came to bring us. Perfect peace because of his holiness. He crossed the sea to remove the chaos. He walked to Calvary to pay for our sin. He walked out of the tomb to allow us into the presence of the Father. So will you allow him to work? Let's pray. God, we thank you for for the path that you've given us. God, that as we made a mess of everything and we continue to be messy, as we continue to wrestle with sin, God, that your path remains. That the way to life is through you, through the work that you've done, through the gift that you've offered. God, that the problem so often in our lives isn't what we tend to think is the problem. The problem is, are we willing to open ourselves up completely to you? That even in the pain, even in the heartache, even in the frustration, in the anger, in the grief, in the depression, God, in the doubt, in the worry, God, would we just allow ourselves to say, here I am. God, do your work in me. 
We're clothed by your grace. We're forgiven by your blood. God, we're invited into your presence by your life that was laid down for us. So God, might we long to experience true, complete peace in the midst of our struggle to come to you where we find rest. In Jesus' name.